appreciation, our thankfulness for what you've done through Jesus. And we want to be changed in his presence. And we pray that you would do it, Father. We pray that you would bring salvation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke 23. It'll be on the screen as well. My title this morning is Shock and Awe on Good Friday. And I'm not, it's not my intent to shock you. It's a family-friendly message. But that's my title, and hopefully it'll be clear as we, as we go through. Luke 23. Luke 23, and beginning in verse 33, and we'll read to verse 47. It says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now there was a centurion who saw what had taken place. He praised God, saying, Certainly this man is innocent. So that's a short, a short account of what we've come to remember this morning, the death of Jesus. And so my title this morning is Shock and Awe on Good Friday. And I think we live in a world, in a culture, where we don't do either of those things very well. It wasn't that long ago that we used to be, as a people, shocked by Elvis's swiveling hips, and that is no longer the case anymore. And Tragedies on the news used to shock us, but now uh, we see them as, uh, as more commonplace. At the same time, being in awe uh, kind of brings with it the idea of considering something more than eight seconds, and so we don't do that very well either. Uh, we, uh, you know, a video might show up on our, on our social feed, 
and it captures our attention and we're amazed, but it quickly scrolls on to another video and another video and another video and another video. So we might think something is cool, we might appreciate it, but who in the world has time for awe and wonder? Because that takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more consideration. But Good Friday should be a time, I think, where we experience both of those things. So first, shock. I think Good Friday should make us say, what? With a question mark and an exclamation point at the end, right? Good Friday should make us say, you can try it out. Ready? Let's be shocked together. Good Friday should make us say, Go ahead, do it again. Good Friday should make us say, Yeah, you can tilt your head sideways, you can close one eye, right? What? Good Friday should make us say, What? We should feel a bit of shock at the story that I just read. And Good Friday is shocking simply because of two words Jesus died. Jesus died died. For many of us, we don't feel the shock of Good Friday because we've become quite comfortable with the story of the Bible. We're very familiar with the events of Easter, and we read of Jesus' crucifixion, but we read it with eyes forward to the resurrection. And so we don't often stop at just Jesus died. Uh, We know that, and we say that, but we always tend to finish the sentence, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to set us free. We quickly finish the sentence or bring the reasons for why Jesus died. And I think we lose something when we don't just pause for a minute at those two words. Jesus died. Jesus died. The question of why is Good Friday good has been asked a few times in our house over the years because I think as kids they're more apt to hear those two words and not rush on just wait a minute this Jesus you've been telling me about he died and we're calling this a good Friday they get shocked more they get startled more than those of us who have heard the story many many times and I think we need to let it startle us a bit as well we need to reclaim a bit of our shock of good Friday So just let those two words sink in a bit. Jesus died. Terry Virgo uses the illustration of a watercolor to help us see grace. And when he comes next month, he might might do it for us. But the same can be applied here. You've got to let the backdrop of a watercolor painting dry before you can paint the houses and the trees in the foreground. And we need to let the, the backdrop of that watercolor dry for a minute. Jesus died period and everything in us wants to say but he rose again but he died for our sins he died to set us free but just let that dry for a minute jesus the son of god died period as i was working on this message my friend uh, tyler horton he posted an article on this very thing And uh, he says it a lot more eloquently than I can. So I'll read what he wrote. Um, He says, Jesus is the source of life. All things were made by him, 
for him and continue to exist because they are upheld by him. All the life that is now bursting out after another long Canadian winter has its roots in Christ. Every individual blade of grass, every bud on every twig, every green shoot emerging from a long buried bulb, every returning bird, and every note of every song that they sing springs forth from this one fountain. In him was life, for he is the life itself. When he walked among us, death and darkness fled his approach as he healed both gnarled limbs and gnarled lives. And yet, he died. Jesus became a corpse. The color drained from his face and left only the unnatural and empty gray stillness of death. Not a single nerve fired and not one muscle moved. His heart stopped pushing blood through his body. His chest ceased to rise as his lungs fell limp and his body grew cold as the warmth of life faded away. To better stand in awe of what the cross accomplished, and we'll get to that in a minute, we should allow ourselves to stand in shock of how it was accomplished. The fact that Jesus died reminds us of how ugly and offensive sin is. The fact that Jesus died reminds us of the greatness of God's holy anger towards sin. And the fact that Jesus died reminds us that what we enjoy of the gospel has been bought for us at the highest price possible, the life of the Son of God. So let's not lose our shock of what happened on Good Friday. Jesus died, period. And we need to let that, what, sink in a little bit before we move on too quickly. But it's Good Friday for a reason, and we can and should move on because it's not just Jesus died, period. We can say Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to set us free. And so the Good Friday should not just make us say, what? It should also make us say, whoa. So go ahead. Ready? Good Friday should make us say, whoa. And? And? Whoa. Oh, there you go. Because we shouldn't just be in shock of Good Friday. We should also be in awe of Good Friday. And we should say, Whoa. W H O A. Whoa. I think that's how you spell woe. Whoa. Whoa. So we should be in awe of what happened on Good Friday. And there's many things that we can be in awe in, in awe of as we see Jesus on the cross. And I'll just highlight a few for us this morning. First, I think we should be in awe of how willingly Jesus went to the cross. We should be in awe of how willingly Jesus went there. The Son of God willingly stepped down out of heaven, willingly became a baby, endured the limitations of life on earth, and willingly went to the cross even though he was without guilt and without sin. Jesus said, in John 10:17 to 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so when we see Jesus on the cross, we should be in awe because it wasn't Judas's money that put him there. It wasn't uh, the, the fear of the Jews that put him there. It wasn't Pilate that put him there. As Paul says in Galatians, 20, uh, Galatians 2.20, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so when we look at Jesus on the cross, we can be in awe of his love that he willingly went to the cross for us. That's one thing we can be in awe of. Second, we can be in awe of how God planned that the single most horrible thing to ever happen in the history of humanity would be the most beautiful thing to ever happen to mankind. And that is amazing. That is amazing. The cross is the master class on how to turn the tables. Because abundant life from a moment of death. Eternal hope from a moment of despair. Amazing grace from a moment of terrible injustice. Fullness of joy from a moment of deep sadness. True peace from a moment of intense suffering. What looked like victory for the devil and death and darkness was actually their demise. The very worst thing in history was the very best thing. And only God can do that. So today, Good Friday, it should serve as a reminder for us that the same God who planned Good Friday rules over each and every moment of our lives and is able to do for you just what he did at the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, in Romans 8:28 that for those of us who are in Christ God works all things together for our good all things and so this should make us take a step back and and make us rethink how we look at our life make us take a step back from how we normally make sense of our life because what looks like death may be God working life what looks hopeless may be God's instrument to bring true and lasting hope. What is crucified today, he can resurrect tomorrow. And God takes the disasters of our lives and makes them displays of his grace. And we can be in awe that that's what we see on Good Friday. The disasters of our lives become the displays of his grace. So we can be in awe of that. Lastly, the reasons are many that we can be in awe of what happened on Good Friday. But one of the things that really stood out to me, and this is my last point, is that we can be in awe of the cross because of the transformation that it brings. The cross not only gives us new life, it shows us a new way to live. At the cross, we see Jesus humbly submitting to the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the cross, we hear the invitation for us to come and do the same. We sang about it. The cross bids me come 
and die that I may truly live. Paul also says in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we can look around the room and see and be in awe of the transformation that the cross of Jesus Christ brings. But for this morning, I want to read you a story that shows how a life can be transformed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Is that all right? A story? All right. We all love stories, right? No matter how old we are. So I hope this story helps you to see what that looks like. That Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or as we just sang, the cross bids me come and die that I may truly live. It's the story of an ordinary person whose life was saved by the cross of Jesus and was shaped by the cross of Jesus. We have our picture, Dave? There we go. All right. Thelma Pearl Rideout was born February 25th, 1921 on a potato farm in Heartland, New Brunswick. With three brothers and one sister, life was hard growing up in a poor family during the Depression. Because of these hardships, she witnessed some family members battle alcoholism or be overwhelmed with criticism and bitterness. On top of, and probably because of, her poverty, she often endured teasing from classmates in school. But her mother's love and sense of humor enabled her to always see the bright side of things and enjoy a laugh even when things were tough. Thelma's mother, Lillian, made it a priority for all her children to be in church on Sundays. And on one particular Sunday, as Thelma sat in the meeting as just a young girl, God broke into her life and she saw that Jesus transcended all the hardships she faced. He transcended all of her own sin and she trusted him with her life. And Thelma began to see that there was more to life than her own little world. As she grew up to be a young woman, her faith and love for Jesus grew as well. And her growing faith was met with growing taunts from her family about her crazy Jesus beliefs. This hurt her but it also made her determined to pray for them, honor them, and to live for the approval of Jesus and not for the approval of those who looked down on her. Thelma grew into a very mature yet fun-loving woman, and eventually she landed the job in Moncton and so moved three hours from the home she knew, settled into an apartment, and began her own life. She never married or had any kids, but instead gave herself to seeing God's kingdom in her workplace and see his church built. The job she served in for 37 years was tough as it was working in a male-dominated world of finances. And even though she was the office manager, she was often not listened to. Sometimes the ideas she brought forth were claimed by others, bringing them accolades and recognition. But Thelma took the role of a servant and never tried to chase down praise for herself. After all, she would say, the changes I hoped for were happening, and that is what really matters. With the church, she joined a missionary group and heard all about missions that were struggling and needed help financially. She gave from her heart so that people could hear about the Jesus she knew. She was far from rich, but knew how to save and budget 
and lived by the mentality of don't buy new what you can fix, even with masking tape. This enabled her to live with radical generosity toward others. Not content to just keep things at arm's length, she also traveled every few years and visited countries where the people were she, that she had supported financially. She got in, got in touch and started many deep friendships. After she returned from her trips, she kept in touch regularly so that her support was more than just financial, but relationship and encouragement as well. It was in 1967 when Thelma was in her mid-40s when a confused, depressed 16-year-old girl walked into her life. Thelma opened her home up for the girl and her friend to have supper on Tuesday nights before they would go to choral group at the church. And this simple gesture began a relationship that would impact the young girl and Thelma for the rest of their lives. Reflecting on her time with Thelma, years later, she would write this. Thelma always remembered wondering why I was so quiet and never looked her in the eyes. I was trying to be invisible most of my life so I would not get into trouble as the punishment was often harsh. Thelma intrigued me because she was so happy, always found the funny side of life good and bad. She had a great sense of humor and from her I learned to laugh. In the early years when I met her I had no sense of worth, no idea what love felt like, kept my emotions very locked up inside me and suicide was often a thought passing through my mind. Thelma loved to sew, so she took my drab wardrobe and refashioned long pleated skirts into beautiful modern jumpers. She would take me shopping for material to make clothes for me, and she never forgot my response when she showed me some red corduroy materi material, and I told her it was too bright, someone might see me. I expect I intrigued her as well. Thelma never preached at me, never quoted scripture at me, but she lived out the scriptures in front of me. She knew how to love lavishly. My vision of God was a harsh person waiting to punish me when I did wrong. I just could not understand being loved. My God was more like Pharaoh. He takes the resources for making bricks away and tells us to make even more bricks. In Thelma, I saw the exact opposite. It took many years, but Christ's love displayed through Thelma won out in the end. It wore down my protective walls, and little by little darkness came out, and Christ's love shone through. Trust between us grew. We laughed together, cooked together, went to church together, and talked together. I saw in Thelma the type of person I wanted to be. We talked many hours about what I had learned growing up, and how some was not good, and certainly God's, not God's truth. She did not criticize my background or the people in it. She always encouraged me to err on the side of love and forgiveness. She always saw behind, beyond a person's exterior. If she met a cross person, she knew they needed to be loved. Thelma believed everyone deserved to have something nice said to them. Find something to encourage them with. Tell the pianist at church that you really appreciate all they contribute to your worship experience each Sunday. Tell, tell the janitor that you know his job must be tough with all those muddy feet on a rainy Sunday and thank him for keeping the place so clean. Speak love into everyone. Build others up. Everyone needs a kind word. She was a fabulous listener, the kind who listened, heard you, not just your words. She never rushed you through a conversation or told you how to solve your problem. She often related a personal example of how she handled something tough 
and then pointed you to the scriptures that helped her. When I was struggling with the concept of my own adoption, she pointed me to scriptures in Isaiah that said, even if everyone disowns you, the Lord will be your father. She made scripture real, something that answers today's questions. Thelma was the one who encouraged me to go to Atlantic Baptist College. I was not overly interested, but I realized she thought it would be good for me, and it was. She never married and, of course, had no children, so I became her child. And when I was married and had children of my own, she was Nana to them. She loved them dearly and treated each one as though they were the only one in her life. If I had to describe her in just a few words, it would be she sacrificed for others, she gave of her possessions to help others, and she loved fully and wholeheartedly. Her ability to love seemed limitless. I know now that it was her faith in God that filled her up with an unlimited supply of love and compassion. And yet all of her acts of love were not bragged about or told to others. It wasn't until her death when so many people told their stories of how Thelma helped them in their pain, in their poverty, or just being available to talk. She made me feel like I was the only one she loved that way, but I was just a drop in the bucket of her giving. Just a humble, simple, ordinary woman living an ordinary life, but filled with the extraordinary spirit of God. Thelma Rideout died after battling cancer on September 8, 2004, and I have never met Thelma Rideout, but I feel the impact that she has had on her family because the teenage girl that she brought in in 1967 is my mother-in-law, Carolyn. And the mark that Thelma has left on the Wellwood family, I can see today in my wife, and I can see in our children, because one woman was saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, and her life was shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ, and she affected hundreds, if not thousands, out of that amazing love that we just sang about. The events of Good Friday, they certainly should shock us, but what it accomplished, like the life and legacy of Thelma Rideout, should leave us in awe. And certainly my prayer this morning is that maybe Thelma's story would increase your awe in the cross of Jesus and increase your desire to pick up your own cross and follow after him. Because that same invitation that Thelma heard as a young girl sitting in that church of what Jesus had done for her is the same invitation for you this morning. And your life can be just like Thelma's. And undoubtedly it will look a lot different than Thelma's. But your life can be saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. And it can be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. As we see that amazing love that bids us come and die that we might truly, truly live. Why don't I pray and Mark and the team can come back up. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for stories like Thelma's and so many others. We read of people who have lived their life 
under the cross of Jesus Christ. They've lived their life out of that sacrificial love that they've experienced. And Father, it encourages us and it, it spurs us on to do the same. And so I pray for my friends this morning that we would all hear that invitation that Jesus gives us from the cross where he laid down his life for us. He did the thing that we could never do, forgiving our sins and raising us to life as broken as we are. And he bids us to come and lay down our own lives that we might find true life in him. So my prayer is that we would all know that this morning. We would all experience that great love of your son Jesus and it would transform us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.